1: On the Chicago Bears Review. For our 13th and final opponent preview, Larry D. closes the book on our home division as he previews the reigning kings of the NFC North and the upstart Minnesota Vikings. Can the Vikes stay on top of the mountain or was 2015 a fluke? Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman joins us for the final NFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Here we are. We have reached the end of the road. Our 13th and final opponent preview episode to almost wrap up the 2016 offseason. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for part 13 of our 13 opponent preview episodes, part number 3, and our final NFC North preview to wrap things up. And, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun. I have had a blast doing all of these uh, preview episodes. You know, we started back at the end of June. Was it the end of June? Middle of June, actually, um, with uh, Sequoia Sims uh, for the 49ers, Sandra Phillips to, to do the same place opponents, and here we are with the, the devil that we do know in the NFC North and wrapping up with Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman to talk about the 2016 Vikings, and it's just... Uh, it's been a blast. You know, I enjoy the hell out of doing this stuff, and uh, I hope that uh, you know we'll be able to get everybody back on for the preview episodes without any uh, issues. And um, we only got one show left, and and I just might be able to do something a little bit fun uh, for that last show. Um, Brian Perez uh, from BearsWire.com is going to be our, our guest on the show next time. Um, we're we're still setting up when um, next week. Today is Saturday the sixteenth. Um, sometime next week is when Brian's going to be on the show, and uh, we're going to be previewing the Bears. And uh, we're still trying to work out what night works best for us uh, as far as getting together and making that happen. But it will happen, and. Just for the hell of it, I reached out to Jeff Dickerson uh, from ESPN uh, as well, and he got back to me last night. As a matter of fact, and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. He says he can only give me ten minutes, and I think I'm going to use that ten minutes for something a little bit fun. So I'm not. I'm trying not to do uh, anything redundant. We have Brian on the show. We'll have Jeff on uh, at the end. Is kind of what I'm looking forward to. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll throw some stuff at him and see what uh, see what he thinks. Because uh, Jeff is the beat writer. He actually goes with the team, travels with them. He's hanging out at Hallis Hall and so on. Remember when we had him on uh, last year, the mid-season uh, review, we were actually talking to him while he was in his car, driving to Hallis Hall for the workday. So that's, uh, that's what Jeff Dickerson does. So uh, we'll have him on as a guy who's basically going to be with the team this year and has been with them. He's one of the few people who has seen OTAs with his own eyes and so on that uh will get him on. So we're gonna have two guests on the Bears show uh to wrap things up and how much fun uh is that going to be. But to the business at hand with Chris Gates and the Minnesota Vikings, what a crazy year uh they had last year. Uh, you'll hear me mention to Chris the "quote-unquote" sexy pick uh, to be that new uh, team, that team that's going to make the next step and and maybe make it to the playoffs. And they did, ended up winning the division championship last year, week seventeen in Lambeau with a vi- with the victory over the Packers. Uh, disappointing, heartbreaking even loss in the wild card round to Seattle to end their season somewhat prematurely uh, for them because they, you know, the guy misses the make makes that field goal. They're uh, I think they're the ones that get to go to Arizona actually, and uh, we'll see how that that would have been an interesting game because the Vikings played them really tough uh, the, the first time that they played them in, in Arizona. But, um, you know, so we talked to Chris about how that all went down, what his thoughts on the season, the the what the offseason holes and everything were to fill, and, and then we talked a bit about 2016, even dabble on the uh, the new stadium uh, that they're opening up, that U.S. Bank Stadium, and, uh, you know, what little picadillos it has and what makes it uh, unique. Now, Really only one thing worth talking about in in Beardom this week. Uh, It was that uh, yesterday on Friday was the deadline for all those under franchise tender to come to agreement on a long-term deal. And um, the the deadline came and passed, and Alshon did not sign a long-term deal with the Bears. Now, this is a, you know, some people, there are people, Bear fans, on both sides of the fence with this thing. You know, um I'm leaning more towards the um I'm leaning more towards the camp that is happy that it's a franchise tender and Alshon gets to play the one year at the fourteen point six million and earn a long term deal from the Bears based solely on the fact that we couldn't rely on him last year that he couldn't stay that he couldn't stay healthy couldn't keep himself on the field you know and when he was it was clear that he was one of the best players if not the best player on the field when he was there it's just we couldn't depend on him to be there so show us that you can be healthy we'll show you the money other people on the other hand this is you know, these, these are also the people who probably think Jay Cutler's the worst quarterback in the NFL, that thinks it's just the foolish idea that we would even remotely entertain the idea that Alshon uh, not be with the Bears uh, long term, that, uh, you know, we should have locked him up, we should have paid the man his money, give it to him and keep him here. You know, I the only reason that I would subscribe to an idea like that is because of Kevin White. We don't know what we have in him. We don't know if we have a future number one wide receiver. You know, as a matter of fact, one of the questions I intend to ask Brian Perez and maybe even Jeff Dickerson as well is how much does Alshon Jeffrey's future with the team hinge upon Kevin White? If Kevin White comes out and is an absolute monster and he dominates the field, you know, can we say goodbye to Alshon Jeffrey, you know, or do we want to have him there so we have these two beasts together for the next 5 years? You know, or is it, you know, Kevin White has a subpar season, you know, probably because basically this is his rookie year, but he has a subpar year and we need Alshon around because we still don't have a number 1 wide receiver. You know, is that the the, the the mindset that the Bears have, keeping our homegrown talent at home, pay him his money, make him happy, keep him with the team? You know, only time will tell as far as the answer to that question, but, you know, that's one I, I definitely intend to ask uh, our guys when we have them on uh, next time. And, you know, right now I'm, I'm with the whole, you know, I think I definitely think it's foolish to let him go. So we give him the franchise tender. We keep him on for one more year. He's got a guaranteed top ten salary, so he's gonna make his money. We'll see what he does with it. Can he keep himself on the field? Can he be as productive as he's always been? Can he be the beast that he was in twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen and showed flashes of last season when he was healthy? Can he be that guy for us consistently in twenty sixteen? Can he be a leader? Because he's the veteran now. Can he be the leader? Can he show Kevin White the way and and, and how to be a professional and and what it takes to be a top-flight receiver? This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen.
0: We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
1: Uh, In this league, can he do that? And if he does that, will the Bears pay him? Come 2017, or will we be looking in the free agent market or in the draft to find our next Alshon Jeffrey? We'll have to wait and see uh, on that. But uh, Jeffrey is going to be on the one-year tender, playing on the uh, playing on a one-year prove-it deal. Basically, you know, not only to prove it to the Bears but to the rest of the league that he's worth the money. It's a calculated risk by the Bears. Um, you know, it's probably with Alshon asking for more than he was than the Bears thought he was worth. The Bears may be thinking somewhere in the Doug Baldwin uh, era that he got from Seattle at about $11, $12 million a season uh, from Seattle. And I'm thinking maybe Alshon was looking more towards, like, Larry Fitzgerald, Calvin Johnson money. So I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll wait and see what happens. He'll play the one year on the franchise. And then uh, we'll be talking about Alshon Jeffrey in 2017, uh, either in a new uniform or he's back with the Bears. He's got his money. He's happy and content. So, We'll have to wait and see what happens there. So anyway, that is all that I have as far as the uh, uh, news is for the Bears. Everything else is kind of quiet at the moment. We prepare for training camp, which is 11 days away. They report on the 26th. They get started on the 27th. Today is the 16th. 11 stinking days. We have Josh Bellamy days away from training camp getting started. And, uh, you know, about 10 days or so after that, the Bears – Actually, a little bit about two weeks after that, the Bears and the uh, Broncos kick off Thursday night, August the 11th to start the preseason and get things underway for us. So oh, I can't wait. It's so close. And, and the reason that I look forward to the preseason and football, was means that summer is ending and I hate summer. Okay, I'm a big guy. I do not like the hot temperatures. I live in the Midwest where it's not hot. It's humid. You know, It could be 76 degrees outside, but feel like it's 88 because of the goddamn humidity, and I hate it. I absolutely hate that. But every other time of the year, the spring, the fall, the winter, I actually love living here uh, for the most part. So, I mean, you know, got to deal with those, those crappy three months there, you know, June, July, and August, and then you get football in the fall and nice cold temperatures and the weather and, you know, all that stuff, so... Anyway, I'm going to shut up now, and we're going to go ahead and bring in Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman to preview the 2016 Minnesota Vikings. And last but not least, we come to the 13th and final preview episode opponent, and that would be our brethren from up north in the Minnesota Vikings. And with us, as always, for our help with the Minnesota Vikings, we have Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman on SB Nation. Chris, welcome back to the Chicago Bears Review.
2: Thank you for having me, Larry. Always happy to be here.
1: So when we were talking briefly, um, when we were emailing, trying to set up time for the show, you mentioned something about coming stateside. Are you in the states now, or are you coming home soon?
2: No, actually, I'm on a plane home uh, tomorrow for a week to uh, to do some training. So, yeah, in about uh, uh, roughly uh, 14 hours or so, I've got to catch the shuttle to uh, to get me an airplane back to the States for a week of what's sure to be fun and excitement.
1: How long does it usually take you to get over the jet lag?
2: Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm only back in the States for a week, so just about the time I'm uh, over the jet lag, it'll probably be time for me to uh, to come back over here to Europe. So that ought to be be fun.
1: Yeah, ain't that always the way. That's (laughs) Mm -hmm. just about the time you're getting used to the schedule here on the States. You're heading back to where you're uh, normal again. That's that's fun. All right. Well, you know, you guys ended up being division champs last year. So that kind of came out of uh, nowhere. I mean, everyone kind of picked the Vikings to be that that quote-unquote sexy pick to be that new playoff team last year and he ended up living up to that hype but a division championship really wasn't uh really wasn't in the cards at least as far as the experts were concerned
2: no and apparently it's not in the cards for them to repeat either because uh, just about all the previews that I've seen so far have moved uh, Green Bay back up to the top of the division and the Vikings back into second place and you know, with all due respect to the Bears and the, the Lions, it looks like most of the uh, expert-type outlets at this point are kind of projecting this to be a two-team race.
1: Yes, that would be correct. the The magazine I currently have sitting next to my lap says Minnesota Vikings, and right next to it, NFC North giant, NFC North forecast with a giant number two underneath it. So that would be consistent with everything that I've been reading uh, as well. So. But when we had you on uh, last year, uh, during the regular season, uh, anyway, we talked about that opener uh, in San Francisco, which ended up being a huge disappointment because the Vikings were viewed to be one of those teams that was supposed to make a big move uh, last year. Year number two of, you know, Mike Zimmer's, uh, you know, tenure as head coach, and uh, and everything, and then to be blown out, kind of the way that they were by San Francisco, was a different, uh, was a disappointment. But do you think that maybe it was an eye opener for the team of some kind? I mean, I don't know how what their what their mindset was going into the season, or if they were believing their own hype. Do you think maybe it was one of those like a blessing in disguise kind of thing? Because they ended up winning like eight out of the next ten after losing that first game in an embarrassing fashion on Monday Night Football, no less.
2: I really think it was. I think that, you know, as you said, going into last season, everyone was kind of tracking the Vikings to be a quote-unquote sexy pick to make some noise as far as the NFC was concerned. And, you know, I, I think the players probably started to hear that a little bit in, you know, conjunction with that offseason. The Niners had, like, half their team retire and whatnot, and everyone was kind of on the, the negative hype train with them about how they lost all those people and how they were going to be terrible and you know I think the combination of those two things I think the Vikings thought they were going to just show up and toss their helmets out on the field and San Francisco would be so impressed that they'd win going away and you know the Niners just went out and punched him in the mouth a bunch of times I think uh, Carlos Hyde went for well over 100 yards in that one and you know it looked like the Vikings just didn't know what the heck hit him that first game and you know like you said after that they finally got themselves collected and went on a little bit of a run and you know I I don't think the season would have gone the way it did if they had gone into San Francisco and just kind of coasted the way everyone expected them to
1: so I mean that's how the season got started and then after that they went on they won what six out of six out of seven at one point like eight out of ten the next but that there was that segment right there towards like that third quarter of the of the season you had In in my opinion, the for 2015 anyway, they had a chance to make a real big statement. They had Green Bay at home. They had Seattle at home. This was their chance to make a statement against the NFC against the NFC elite. And in both instances, they were kind of they were blown out. Actually, thirty to thirteen in Green Bay, and then thirty eight to seven. So even worse against Seattle. And it's it wasn't one of those where it was tight for a while and then those teams pulled away. It was pretty much you know the the Seattle and Green Bay pretty much you know you know dictating to the Vikings for the whole game you know it kind of felt like maybe that was that kind of felt like the moment that maybe the Vikings are a year away however you fast forward a little bit later week 17 in Lambeau and then the wild card game against Seattle much different story they beat they beat Green Bay in Lambeau to win the NFC North and then you know it's not a uh, 38-7 to blowout against Seattle a couple of weeks later.
2: No, I, and I totally understand what... Uh, I, I think what happened with the first Green Bay game is I, the Vikings, I believe if I remember correctly, were riding a five-game winning streak uh, going into that game. And, you know, it was probably the same thing as what happened with the San Francisco game. They were sitting in first place in the division at that point And, you know, they were... All the the media hype was saying, okay, this is where the Vikings need to make a statement, and you know I, they might have been too amped up for things because they had a lot of uh, bad, bad penalties, if I remember in that game, and you know they didn't do the uh, the disciplined job of keeping Aaron Rodgers in the pocket like they were, I believe, supposed to be game planning to do. And as we've seen from watching that guy over the years, once you get him outside of the pocket, he's Still got the ability to kill you, but yeah, you know, that was probably another one of those wake up call sort of things. And the game against Seattle, I mean, you don't want to use injuries as an excuse. But uh, I believe Lindvall, Joseph sat that game out, and I believe that was the game that Anthony Barr and Harrison Smith both went out on the first series. And so without those three guys, those are the probably the three best players on each level of the Minnesota defense. And, you know, it it just looked like the Vikings were not prepared uh, to see the Seahawks that afternoon. But then, as you said, when you fast forward, I think this is one of the strengths of Mike Zimmer and him having guys like Norv Turner and George Edwards on his staff. I mean, they've been around, they've seen a lot of things, and they know how to make the adjustments that are necessary to, to make a team successful. And when you look back at that second game at Lambeau Field, uh, the Vikings' pass rush was a lot more disciplined. Uh, Rodgers was not able to get out of the pocket. Uh, without Jordy Nelson, his receivers had trouble getting open, and they really didn't do a whole lot of anything on offense that night. Uh, you know, they put up 13 points, and that's way below what they usually average. And, you know, with the Seattle game, finally back in the, uh, the wild card round, um, I do believe that the elements played a lot uh, of a role, or played a pretty significant role in that. Uh, I believe it kicked off as the third coldest game in NFL history, as far as the temperature was concerned, and you know I, I think it affected both teams offensively, and you know that probably had quite a bit to do with you know why the the Vikings were able to slow the Seahawks down. But they did make adjustments, and they did play uh, better football the second time around than they did the first time. So you know, like I said, when you have Mike Zimmer uh, running things, and he's been around for a while, and he knows how to make the necessary adjustments to, to make this team successful, and that's probably why they are where they are right now.
1: Well, you know, I was just looking at the uh, at the schedule for last year, and it I'm looking at your basically you had you had five teams or four teams that you ran into twice last year. You Detroit, Chicago, Green Bay, of course, and then you played Seattle twice last year, and you swept Detroit. So we'll kind of take them out of the equation. But first game at Chicago. 23 to 20 that was a that was a game he had to come back and win uh, towards the end but it was a tight game uh, throughout second game in Minnesota the Vikings win 38 to 17 so obviously a much better performance then first game even though it was at home Green Bay you lose 30 to 13 the second game you win 20 to 13 so obviously a better performance that time around and then like we said with Seattle 38 to 7 loss at home but then the second one um, unfortunately you did lose again but it was 10 to 9 you know a much tighter performance a much more solid performance out of the team so it looks like anybody that mike zimmer gets a second bite at the apple at is uh you're not going to be able it's it's definitely not a uh, fool me once shame on you or shame on me or you know however the phrase goes i'm missing it right now but you know what i'm trying to say
2: (laughs) so and, and and we saw something similar in zimmer's first season in 2014 as well i mean they lost to. uh They lost to Detroit at home and Teddy Bridgewater looked awful. I believe that was his second career start because he started a game and then he missed a game because it was a short week. And then he came back and started the next week. And then they went to uh, Detroit again and the Lions wound up sweeping them that season. But the game at Detroit, I believe, was a two point game. Uh, The the games against Chicago last year or in 2014 were kind of the same. And, you know, against the Packers. When they played those two games, uh, they got blown out at Lambeau. And I believe the second game against the Packers in 2014, even though they lost, I believe that was only a three-point game, or it was, it was much closer than the first one was. And so, like you said, um, once Mike Zimmer gets some tape on somebody and can you know start diagnosing a few things, he, he fixes problems. And that's what we've seen from him over the last couple of years.
1: Now, I know this might be painful for you but the field goal <laughs> at the end of the game uh, for yeah. the wild card round. Were you, were you watching it live uh, when it happened?
2: I certainly was.
1: Yeah. Um, can you talk about the level of shock that came over you when he missed it?
2: It, it was so strange because, you know, the, the Vikings put that last drive together, and, you know, they after not really moving the ball all day, they got the ball moved down the field. Uh, Bridgewater to uh, Kyle Rudolph, I believe, got them inside the 20 for the Seahawks. And, you know, you don't sit there and when you realize that your kicker is kicking a field goal of less than 30 yards, you just kind of automatically think that it's going to go through because, you know, I, I believe the conversion rate for field goals of 30 yards or less in the National Football League is like 98 or 99 percent or something. So, I mean, you realize that the, the shock, it was a huge shock to, uh, to see that happen but then, on the other hand, you realize that, you know, if you've been a Vikings fan for as long as I have, you realize that if one team is capable of screwing something up this badly, it's, it's Minnesota, because we have kind of a history of doing that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it was shocking at first, and then, you know, eventually it wears off. And, you know, it, it, maybe, it didn't take nearly as long as, say, the, uh, the 2009 NFC Championship game or anything like that. But, you know, it it was disappointing. But once you look back at the season as a whole, you realize that, you know, aside from that, things were actually pretty good. So, you know, it it didn't really, you know, shock or disappoint me as much as it probably should have.
1: Well, I just, you know, for the people that were actually there, I mean, I saw a video. I mean, I saw a few videos, actually, but there was one in particular on YouTube where it was like a side view uh, in the stadium. Uh, and once the you know they see the they see uh, they see him kick the ball they see it pass the uprights and they start cheering and then it kind of you kind of see in, in it kind of waves its way up to where those people were sitting towards the top of the bowl that he missed it and that it was no good so the celebration automatically goes it goes from jubilation and celebration we won this we're going to the next round to. How did he miss that? Can't believe, no, tell me it's not true, you know, and, and things like that. It was um, it was interesting to to watch, uh, to see it kind of just wash over them that, no, he did not make it, and Seattle's going to win this game.
2: No, and I remember seeing that same video as well. I mean, the, the reaction I can understand, you know, because if you're sitting at that angle from the goalposts, and, you know, like you said, if it's less than 30 yards, you just kind of assume it's going to go through. But yeah, I I can understand that. And what really bothered me more than anything was the way that some people reacted because, you know, there were people, uh, RIP Blair Walsh's Twitter timeline, because good Lord, there were people just, just destroying him after that kick. And, And I can understand being angry or, you know, bummed out or disappointed or whatever, but you don't need to be sending like, threats of physical violence to some dude because he missed a field goal in a football game because man there was just some ridiculousness going on down there on happening on social media uh, after that kick and to to Walsh's credit I mean he stood there at his locker after the game was over and he fielded every question he you know took every jab whatever Uh, he went to one of the local schools a couple of days afterwards and the kids were just Showering him with like cards and pictures and stuff to you know kind of tell him it was okay, but you know, it was really disappointing to see some of the people react the way that they did after the uh, after the kick.
1: You know, and it's 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 unfortunate that it does that people use social media in such a way. I mean, can you imagine the the hailstorm that that Gary Anderson would have faced if Twitter was a thing in 1998?
2: Oh God, he that that guy would have been just savaged beyond belief. Yeah. It would have been pretty awful for him.
1: Yeah, that would have been uh that would have been pretty awful. I mean, because at that point, you know, they were fifteen they were the most exciting football team that I'd seen in a long time, you know, yeah. and you know, I was rooting for them for sure. Minnesota hadn't been to a Super Bowl in God knows how Super Bowl eleven. I mean, this would be forty years since you guys have been yeah. to a Super Bowl and you know they were the best team in the league and and all that kind of stuff and uh you know i was definitely rooting for them and for for anderson to miss that field goal was kind of heartbreaking even for me to not see a great team like that a team that i knew that was better than atlanta not go to the super bowl was a was a huge disappointment uh for me as well but um you know it all happens for a reason or so they say but um so that closes the book on 2015 and a disappointing end nonetheless. But, you know, as you said, it was a good season, 11 and five, an unexpected division championship, uh, you know, and you're going into 2016. What was the focus of the team? What were the holes that needed to be fixed going into, into free agency and then in the draft?
2: I, I think everyone would pretty much agree that the two biggest holes were the offensive line and the wide receiver position. Uh, If you look at all the stats, stuff that Pro Football Focus has put together over the last uh, few months as part of their offseason, they show Teddy Bridgewater was the most pressured quarterback in the league. I think he saw pressure on just a ridiculous percentage. It was almost half of his dropbacks that he had uh, somebody pressuring him, according to Pro Football Focus uh, game charting. And despite that, he was still uh shown by pro football focus through whatever formula it is they use to be the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. So, you know, if you can give this guy some time to actually operate and not be running for his life constantly, uh, he could really take the step this year that everyone was expecting him to take last year, I think. And they they fixed some of that problem. I think they got uh, much better at guard with the signing of Alex Boone uh, from San Francisco Uh, He's going to move Brandon Fusco back over to the right side because Brandon Fusco playing on the left side last year was a disaster. Uh, They have the potential to get a couple of guys back in John Sullivan and Phil Lodholt. Uh, Lodholt, I think is going to be kind of iffy. I don't know if he's going to make the final cut. I mean, he hasn't been on the field in two years because of injuries and the Vikings did bring Andre Smith in from Cincinnati to either compete or take over the starting spot there. But uh the offensive line battle is probably going to be the most interesting position of training camp for the Vikings uh, right now, according to one of the stats I read from one of the Vikings beat writers, they have nine offensive linemen on the roster right now that have each started 16 games in a season before. And so they have a lot of, a lot of potential as far as, you know, depth and whatever is concerned, but I think the offensive line is going to be significantly better. And then we look at the wide receiver position. Uh, Mike Wallace didn't work out. He was pretty much a disaster for the Vikings. Uh, Charles Johnson, who was hyped up to be one of those guys that made the leap last year, uh, got injured in week three and really didn't have much of an impact on the season. Uh, Stefan Diggs was a nice surprise, but they addressed that in the draft with the selection of Laquan Treadwell, uh, number 23 overall. And I, I, Can't help but wonder if Treadwell is going to end up the same way as uh, Teddy Bridgewater did sort of the year he was drafted, because for a lot of the pre-draft process, uh, Treadwell was considered the top prospect at the wide receiver position by most draft gurus, and then he had that pro day at Ole Miss where he ran a little slower than everyone expected, and then all of a sudden he started to slide, and, you know, there were can't remember if it was two or three receivers that were selected ahead of him in the first round pretty sure he was the fourth receiver off the board but you know i can't help but think if if you watch his film he does everything that a team needs him to do he's a great blocker uh he can you know catch those jump balls that you know the vikings haven't had a a decent jump ball receiver since Sidney rice And, you know, I I think he's going to make a pretty significant impact on this team this year. But, yeah, those are the two big holes that the Vikings need to fill during the offseason. And you can see that's where their focus was.
1: Well, I mean, if and if if you just look at the stats, you would definitely believe that that is uh, that that is true. Um, The Vikings, um, despite their offensive line woes, I mean, I guess your guys is it is is it an athleticism? problem because they were fourth against the they were fourth in rushing but 31st in the past I mean is is it that they're having trouble with you know the athletic pass rushers uh, in the NFL is that why they struggled so mightily or is it because the receivers weren't what they needed to be that you know there wasn't nobody could get open so you know Bridgewater was under pressure because the offensive line wasn't as good as it needed to be but it was great uh running the
2: ball I think a big part of it is actually the the Norv Turner offensive scheme. Uh, I can't remember where I saw it, but they broke down the uh, number of pass plays based on number of steps in the quarterback's drop back, whether it was three steps, five steps, seven steps. And the Vikings were one of only two teams in the National Football League last year that ran more pass plays requiring seven step drops than they requ- than they ran that required five step drops. And, you know, part of that was because of, you know, Adrian Peterson running play action constantly uh, because of the threat of him in the backfield. But, you know, when you know your offensive line is struggling and your wide receivers are having issues getting open, uh, seven step drops are going to get your quarterback killed. And I think Norv sort of recognized that toward the end of the season and started running more, you know, short, quick hitting pass type plays. And that's the kind of thing that Teddy Bridgewater needs now as long as Adrian Peterson is back there uh, the Vikings are going to try to use him as a play action threat as much as they can but that's not really what plays to Teddy Bridgewater's benefit and you know because Peterson is limited in what he can do I mean he's a great runner but he doesn't pass block that well he doesn't catch that well he doesn't run out of the shotgun that well excuse me and you know because of those limitations I mean everyone knows that when Adrian Peterson's in the game the Vikings are more likely to run and when he's not in the game uh, they're more likely to pass and that level of predictability is one of the big things that I think gets their offensive line and because of that gets Teddy Bridgewater in a lot of trouble
1: yeah we when we had you on the show last year we talked about a stat like that i think like the the stat was that teddy bridgewater was a better quarterback when adrian peterson was on the bench than when he was on the field
2: yeah and if you look at the last you know if you look at 2014 when peterson just wasn't there because of the suspension he was dealing with uh bridgewater started 12 games that year and if you look at the last five or six games of that season i mean by that time i believe Jarek mckinnon was out because of injury as well so The only real running back the Vikings had was Matt Asiata at that point, who isn't going to be confused with Adrian Peterson or Jim Brown or anyone like that. But, you know, despite that, uh, Bridgewater was completing a higher percentage of his passes than any other quarterback in the league. Uh, His quarterback rating was up in the high nineties, low 100 range. And, you know, like, like we've said, Adrian Peterson might be the best pure running back or one of the top five best pure running backs in NFL history at this point. But, you know, in this age where teams are running more plays out of the shotgun, uh, we're going less out of the eye formation, less power type football, uh, him having the offense centered around him really limits what the Vikings can do, and because of that, it makes them incredibly predictable. And if they want to take that next step forward, I don't know if it's using Adrian Peterson less, uh, using McKinnon more, or trying to kind of jam the square peg into the round hole with uh, trying to get Peterson to do these things that he's not very good at doing. Uh, If the Vikings can't diversify themselves more on offense, we're going to see uh, Teddy Bridgewater continued to struggle and see the Vikings offense as a whole uh, kind of struggle as a result.
1: Yeah, Peterson was serving more as a tell than uh, to the defense than anything else, kind of like how uh, some teams have that blocking tight end and that pass receiving tight end. When one's on the field and the other one isn't, you can just about tell what's what's coming this way uh, when that when that one person is on the field.
2: Yeah. And, you know, like I keep saying, you don't want to completely discount what Adrian Peterson can do because when it comes to running the football, I don't think there's anyone better at it at this point than he is. But, you know, if that's the one thing that you can do, it really hurts the rest of the offense because, you know, as you said, if Peterson's not out there, well, they're going to throw the football. And if he is out there, well, they're going to hand it to him or, you know, if there's going to be some sort of a play action threat as a result of that. But, you know, If the Vikings need to or if the Vikings want to get more uh, diverse on offense, they're either going to need Peterson to evolve or they're going to have to start gradually moving away uh, from being an Adrian Peterson centric offense.
1: So let's move on to the to the draft here now. I don't know what most experts think about the draft, but just looking at, at the way things fell, I, I I would constitute it as being a deep draft. And one of those reasons would be that uh, Detroit, Chicago, and Minnesota all seem to be able to get, like, first-round grade talents in the second round. Uh, the Bears got Cody White here. A lot of people thought was the best offensive lineman, maybe even overall, uh, in the draft. Um, I forget. the um, Detroit got the... Defensive tackle from Alabama uh, in the second round, and then of course the Vikings got Mackenzie Alexander, whom had many people rated to be a, a first-round talent in in the in the cornerback uh, position.
2: Yeah, I mean it was really kind of a surprise. I mean we know that cornerback wasn't necessarily a need uh, for the Vikings, but you know I think a lot of mock drafts that I saw going into uh, draft weekend had Alexander. Uh, somewhere in the back half of the first round and for the Vikings to be able to get him at number 54 overall was pretty impressive. I mean, I don't know what caused him to fall that far. I don't know if it's strictly like a height issue with him. I know people go on about how he had zero interceptions in his last, I believe it was 23 college games, but you know, that that's not something that's, you know, concerning to me. I mean, Mike Zimmer, apparently saw something in the guy. Rick Spielman apparently saw something in the guy. and you know, two and a half years into the uh, Mike Zimmer regime, I've basically learned that that guy's a whole lot smarter than I am. And if he thinks that Mackenzie Alexander is a fit for this football team, then you know bring him in and let him compete. and you know he he's probably going to be a part of the long-term future of this defense.
1: It also kind of goes to the to to my theory about um when he was in Cincinnati they seemed to draft a corner in the first round just about every year or at least drafting a corner high and he seems to be kind of continuing that trend here in uh in Minnesota Whereas you know like some some coaches are like you can never have too many good running backs some you can never too have too many good linemen i guess for mike zimmer you can never have too many good um you know pass defenders especially in the secondary especially in a division like ours with Alshon Jeffrey, I mean, I know we don't have a Cal-Sean, uh you know, a Calvin Johnson uh, anymore, but you know, you have Jordy Nelson coming back, and all the past threats that you have in in Green Bay, Alshon Jeffrey, and hopefully Kevin White in Chicago. There's a lot out there to defend. So you can never have too many good cornerbacks on the team.
2: No, that's kind of becoming a trend league wide because I mean, the Vikings and everyone else in the NFC North saw the Arizona Cardinals last year. And they run, you know, three or four deep at wide receiver, quality wide receivers. Yeah. And if you're going to match up with a team like that, you can't possibly have too many quality defensive backs. And, you know, like, like I said, when a guy that, you know, graded out by most folks as a first round talent is sitting there at the end of the second round, it'd be kind of crazy not to take him, even if he's not necessarily a position that's, you know, a giant red flag need.
1: So who else in the uh, the draft class uh, are the Vikings looking forward to having some kind of contribution uh, in their rookie season this year?
2: I think one of the guys has kind of been flying under the radar at this point is uh, David Morgan. He's a, a tight end out of Texas San Antonio, and I believe Texas San Antonio only started their football program three or four years ago, so they haven't been around for long. Uh, he's the first player out of Texas San Antonio to be drafted into the National Football League. And after the Vikings drafted him, uh, Rick Spielman went to the podium and basically said, yeah, this guy was the best blocking tight end in the draft. And, you know, it's not generally the kind of thing that you would spend a draft pick on for a blocking tight end or whatever, until you realize that uh, the guy that the Vikings usually use at that spot is Rhett Ellison. And he tore a knee tendon in the regular season finale in Green Bay. And he's kind of iffy to even be ready for the start of camp this year. And with the way the Vikings run their tight ends with uh, Rudolph and Michael Pruitt, and now uh, Ellison and Morgan, uh, he has the potential if particularly if Ellison starts out on the uh, physically unable to perform list with his knee issue, uh, he has the ability to come in there and be that primary blocking tight end uh, slash H back kind of figure that Ellison has been. Uh, for the vikings over the last few years so i i think he's a guy that not many people are talking about at this point but out of you know everybody in the vikings draft class that isn't uh laquan treadwell or mckenzie alexander uh, i think he has the uh the most chance of making an impact here in uh, 2016
1: and um what are the odds of uh, moritz uh bowringer making the team this year
2: I think the odds are just about as good that I make the 53 man roster uh, this season. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I love the story. that the guy's a great story. The guy's a ridiculous athlete, but you know, guys that that I've read have said that basically his level of competition would have been like really, really good division three uh, football. And it's rare for a guy who hasn't really seen that level of competition. To you know, immediately jump into the National Football League and be able to make a contribution. I think the best case scenario uh, for Boringer would be for him to be on the practice squad for a year, uh, maybe two, if necessary. Uh, get him up to the the physical uh, type of play that the National Football League sees, and you know, see if he has a shot at that point. Because he he himself said that during the uh, the off season practices and whatever they interviewed him and he just basically said yeah i'm still getting used to treating this as a job rather than a hobby and you know he's going to need that time to basically get into his head that you know these guys are some of the elite athletes anywhere and if you want to you know he's he's just as athletic as they are but he's nowhere near as refined and he needs that time to get that refinement to be able to use that athletic ability the way he needs to, to be successful in the NFL.
1: So you're projecting that at best, he'll be a practice squad player this year.
2: I, I think he's going to end up on the practice squad uh, because if he goes to another team uh, that he's got to relearn everything, the terminology and whatnot. So I think the best case scenario for the Vikings and for him uh, would be to uh, hang out on the practice squad for a year. And uh, it's going to depend on what kind of you know, ability he shows in the preseason games, uh, whether or not the Vikings feel as though he's worth uh, keeping around on a practice squad spot.
1: So we move on to the schedule now. Um, 2016, you guys are opening that beautiful new stadium, uh, the US Bank US Bank Stadium, right?
2: Yes, US Bank uh, Stadium.
1: US Bank Stadium opens up now. You open up the season on the road at Tennessee, and then you come home, and I then. You know, as as much as as bear fans want to claim Green Bay as their chief rival, it's definitely Minnesota's chief rival uh, as well. So there really wasn't a better candidate to open up the stadium with, and they're doing it on Sunday Night Football, no less.
2: Yep, it's uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, there were there are a couple other potential uh, opening you know teams that could have been in that spot. I was actually kind of surprised they didn't put Dallas in that spot because you know. Sunday night football is basically the NFC East game of the week yeah. at this point. And, you know, I was kind of surprised they didn't put Dallas in that spot. Uh, the uh, The Dallas-Minnesota game isn't a primetime spot, but it's on Thursday night football. But, yeah, of all the teams that could possibly have been the, the first opponent uh, for the Vikings at, the U- at U.S. Bank Stadium, it's not really surprising that they put the Packers in that spot.
1: Now, the H-Dome, when it was still standing, was one of the loudest stadiums uh, in the NFL um, now the U.S. Bank Stadium is an enormous building and uh, the way that they design these domes these days like I've been to Lucas Oil it doesn't look like much from the outside but when you go in it is an enormous almost like an open air Uh, stadium kind of place that just happens to have a dome over top of it did did they factor in what the h dome used to be at all in the construction of this new place so it can be just as loud as it as it was or do you have any idea on that factor
2: Uh, from what they've been saying the the substance that the roof and a lot of the structure is made out of uh, it's called etfe which is short for something significantly longer that I can't remember off the top of my head. Right. But it's kind of kind of a glass, kind of a plastic, kind of a kind of a kind of a hybrid sort of thing that gives it sort of that open air uh, look. But that, from what they've been saying, the the way that material is constructed is that it kind of reflects the the sound waves. So it sounds like from everything that we've heard so far that. Uh, U.S. Bank Stadium is going to be every bit as loud as the Metrodome used to be, if not louder. And it's going to be because of that uh, substance that they use to do, you know, the big doors and the roof and, you know, the a lot of the stadium construction. So I don't think the noise is going to be uh, going away as far as the Vikings home field advantage is concerned. Um.
1: Now I know that the roof was kind of designed. I don't know if if I read it had heating panels in it or whatever. Whatever it was, something to avoid having another roof collapse like the one they had in 2010. Um, is there something like that uh, in there? Uh, and is it retractable? That's uh, that was another question. Is is the is the dome retractable? Can you open it up? Can the Vikings play in open air in this new stadium or no?
2: No, the roof is not retractable. However, they. They do have the uh, the big doors on the side of the stadium. Okay. <clears throat> they, uh, they range. They kind of get bigger as you go up. The smallest one, I believe, is 75 feet high. and the uh, Or the smallest one is 75 feet high. The biggest one, I believe, is 95 feet high. And those doors are actually governed by the same rules as the uh, retractable roofs are, where the Vikings have to make a decision 90 minutes before the game if they're going to play the game with those doors open or they're going to play with the doors closed. I mean, we're not going to get uh, the sort of things that we heard about at the Meadowlands uh, back in the day where the ground would open up the set of doors. So the wind on field goals would blow differently and whatnot that the league has told the Vikings that they have to make the decision on that 90 minutes before game time, but the the roof itself now it's just a solid roof uh, stadium. Uh, It does have the heating coils in it. Like you said, to get all that snow to melt when it happens And that's another part of the reason why the, uh, the top portion is sort of angled the way it is. So that once that snow melts or, and what have you, it can just kind of slide right off into the, uh, the guttering system and just kind of be uh, washed away and not have to uh, worry about any sort of accumulation like we saw back in 2010.
1: Yeah. That, uh, that made for an interesting stretch uh, for the Vikings there. Yeah. You know the Bears. The Bears game got moved to, to Minnesota. You know University of Minnesota. That was the first time that they played there, and I mean they weren't even prepared for that at all. the 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 field was still frozen over, and and all that kind of stuff. It was Brett Favre's last game ever uh, yep. in that one, and uh, you know all that kind of stuff. So, but I, I am looking forward to to seeing the. I mean, I've looked at all the renderings and 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 all that. I haven't seen any. Pictures of the physical stadium since it was done. I've, I've always seemed to have seen a, a picture of it when. Uh, well, we haven't put this wall in yet, but here's what the inside of the stadium looks like. Or mm-hmm. this here's the inside of the stadium, but we don't have seats in, or you know something like that. I have yet to see a 100 percent complete picture uh, of the uh, of the stadium uh, thus far.
2: Well, if you're a if, if you're a soccer fan of any sort, or even if you're not, I mean you're going to get a chance here soon because the first actual event. Uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium is actually happening on the 3rd of August, and it's going to be a, a an international soccer game between uh, Chelsea, who won the uh, English Premier League back in 2014, and uh, AC Milan from from, uh, from the Italian League. And yeah, they'll actually be playing a game at U.S. Bank Stadium on August 3rd. Uh, I can't remember where or you know which channel is going to be showing that, but you know, it would give everybody an opportunity to kind of look and see what's going on with the stadium and whatnot if they're interested.
1: Now looking at the rest of the, uh, the schedule here, like the, uh, the Packers, you have somewhat of an early bye uh, this year. I think your week, uh, week six, you have the buy, which is on the earlier side, uh, yeah. than, than most people like the bears got dead center in the middle. They got week nine, they got eight games before eight games after. I think just about every team in the league would, would want something like that. But, uh, You know, the Packers got week four, week five, something like that. Um, You know, the early bye week uh, like that can kind of um, can be a blessing and a curse at the same time, especially depending on how the team uh, is playing. And in your first five games, you're at Tennessee, home for Green Bay at Carolina. That's going to be tough. And then you finish off two home games Monday night against the Giants and then the Texans. And me just looking at that, I'm looking at at worst, you're looking at, I think, three, three and two on a two game winning streak going into the bye. So at at that point, just looking at that, I would think you would maybe want to keep playing unless injuries are a concern for you.
2: I would think so, too. I mean, I, I personally am not a big fan of the early bye week. I mean, I would like to have more toward the middle or even late in the season, because, you know, if guys get injured, you know, early in the season, you do get that bye week to kind of try to get them healthy. But uh, you know, like you said, the Packers are stuck with the early buy. The Vikings are stuck with the early buy, and you know they, the Vikings, like you, like you said, should be no worse than three and two going into the buy. They probably should be four and one uh, going into the buy. Uh, that game at Carolina is going to be interesting to say the least. But you know, I, I think the Vikings should probably be four and one uh, following or going into the bye week rather, and you know they can kind of reevaluate things from there and go into the rest of the season.
1: Cuz I I the reason that I mentioned that point is cuz uh last year it was a um it was a week 6 or week 7 by uh for the Bears and you know we started 0 and 3 with the Seattle Green Bay um Arizona stretch to start out the year which was just brutal. And then we won our first game at Arizona and then we had, you know, we were at Going into the bye, I think we were at like three and three or two and four, but we were we we're playing much better football. And at that at a time where I think the bye week kind of killed our momentum, as opposed to maybe if we'd have played a couple more weeks, it'd have been on a better stretch and in a, in a better position to to you know to be ready for the bye. Whereas I thought last year it kind of killed some momentum uh, going into it because despite having a two and four record, we're playing much better football and the defense was kind of, you know, buying into Fangio's system and, and was getting some things going, you know, and I was thinking that, you know, you got those two home games against the giants in Houston, which are winnable games. Then you come off the bye. You're at Philadelphia and at Chicago, which despite your victory last year, you guys don't win a lot uh, in Chicago. And those are your first two games out of the gate at uh, coming out of the bye.
2: Yeah. And, you know, like you said, those, the Vikings win at Soldier Field last year. It snapped, I believe, it was a seven-year losing streak. Uh, yeah, they won at Soldier Field. Yeah, they won at Soldier Field in Peterson's rookie year. They hadn't won there since then. And you know, the the game at Soldier Field this year is on Halloween, which you know kind of opens up the the possibility of weird things happening if you believe in that sort of thing, I guess. But you know, it's going to be. I think the Vikings schedule. if if you look at their schedule and the schedule of all the NFC North teams uh, from last year compared to this year, I mean, last year, the Vikings were stuck with the NFC West and the AFC West, which were arguably the two best divisions in each conference. And this year they're playing the AFC South, who is not terribly good. Uh, The NFC East, who is also not very good. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, all four of the NFC North teams you know, this is probably going to end up being the best division in football this year, as far as competitiveness is concerned. And a lot of that is going to be because I think they all have much easier schedules than what we were looking at last season.
1: No, I definitely uh, agree with that. I mean, you know, the one thing that um, that has been, I guess, a negative of doing these opponent previews is that I've talked to everybody. I've talked to a representative from each of the AFC South and NFC East teams, and so I've had a chance to kind of go in and study what they've been doing, and, you know, after talking to them, you know, yeah, Tennessee was the worst team. They had the number one pick in the draft, but they made that trade for the number one pick, and, you know, they got the slew of draft picks that go along with it, and the draft choices that they made were all pretty good. You know, they seemed to come away with one of the better draft classes. Houston went out and made a lot of moves in free agency and – in the draft same thing with Jacksonville uh you know the Colts were just looking I guess to get healthier and pay Andrew Luck I guess that was their objective and then in the NFC East aside from the Giants spending all that money you know it just looks like everybody kind of stood firm and you know nobody really went out and made a whole lot of moves and everything like that kind of like the Vikings it didn't make a whole lot of moves but you just look to fill some holes you got Boone you got Smith so you guys are improved on the offensive line you draft quite Treadwell in the first round those were the holes that needed to be filled that's what they addressed the Bears were looking to do a lot more with with what they did in free agency but weren't looking to spend top dollar as far as you know giving Malik Jackson 90 million dollars instead we'll give Akeem Hicks uh, 15 million dollars to come play for us for three years and shore up the defensive line Um, you know but after doing all the research and talking you know I wish we could have played these these teams last year when they actually were terrible as opposed to what they could be in in 2016 it might not be as easy as we'd hoped
2: and that's entirely possible i mean i'm sure they all got better from last season to this season and you know that's the the great thing about the national football league is that nobody knows what's going on from one year to the next i mean turnover happens you know more so than it does in a lot of the other sports i think and you know it's just a matter of you know who who does the most or who has the most talent you know after all the dust is settled and. Yeah, it, it's going to be a
1: pretty interesting season this year, I think. And, uh, you know, just one more quick thing about the schedule. You have, uh, you get to do that back-to-back Thursday thing uh, this year. Uh, it happens with the NFC North just about every year now um, with the Lions being, a, being one of those uh, traditional Thanksgiving teams. Uh, the Bears did it a couple of years ago where they played the Lions on Thanksgiving and then a week later they play the Cowboys. That's exactly what the Vikings are doing this year, actually. Uh, they're playing at Detroit and then home for the Cowboys on on Thursday night and um, you know what what do you think about doing the Thursday to Thursday thing because there's a lot of people out there including myself that aside from maybe Thanksgiving I'd like to do away with the Thursday games just for the overall health of the players you know such a quick turnaround you know I really would like to do away with Thursday Night football you know but uh, you guys are gonna do a Thursday Thursday thing right there at the right towards the tail end of the schedule
2: yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm not a big fan of Thursday night games either. I mean, in this case, I mean, where they're playing on one Thursday and then getting uh, the full week off before playing again on Thursday, uh, that's not so bad. <clears throat> but, you know, the you know just having just the four days off between a Sunday game and a Thursday night game, and particularly the way the Vikings did it last year, they played on a Sunday afternoon in that game against Seattle where they got pounded. And then four days later, they had to turn around and fly out to Arizona and play the Cardinals on a Thursday night. And the Cardinals were one of the better teams. And, you know, even though it was a much closer game than even I expected, uh, they wound up losing that football game. But, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Thursday night football. I mean, on Thanksgiving, it's cool. But I mean, the every week Thursday night thing is just I, I don't think it's something we need necessarily.
1: And then, of course, I'll make it a, a solid 13 for 13. I brought this up with everybody. Um, the other thing that, of course, sucks about Thursday Night Football is the color rush uniforms. Um, do you know what, what color this, the Vikings have been saddled with? Are we going all purple, or do we get to rub our eyes at the mustard-colored yellow Viking uniforms this year? It,
2: it, it depends on which rumor-mongering source you want to believe. I've, I've seen a couple of them out there, and it sounds like that because – and the most, this is the most recent thing I saw, that because the Vikings are doing two Thursday night games, they will actually get two different color Rush uniforms.
1: Oh, yay. Uh, when, they play,
2: when they play against Detroit, they are reportedly going to be doing the all-yellow thing, oh. and then the next week when they host the Cowboys, they will be doing the all-purple thing, apparently. I mean, obviously nobody's finalized any of this yet. These are just things that we see on social media. But uh, yeah, it sounds like the Vikings are actually going to get saddled with uh, two different color rush jerseys, which you know is not going to please anybody really. But that's that's not really our fault.
1: Yeah, no, I agree, and and I and I also agree that um, we don't know because you said the rumor mongering sites. The first one that I saw uh, when the Bears play the Packers on Thursday Night Football, uh, both of them had Green Bay wearing all yellow, which is just going to look terrible. And then, but the first one had the bears wearing all orange, which is a nightmare for me because I even <laughs> hated when the bears would wear, when you know, twice a year they'd wear the orange tops at home. Yeah, I hated those pumpkin jerseys. I it's this I can't stand them. And then the other one, the the most recent one that I saw had them wearing all navy, which isn't as bad, but it's definitely not a good look. But uh, you know, I I so, yeah. So by by. You know, just by association, uh, I hate the color rush and I hate Thursday Night Football because it's got the color rush. So I, I think the NFL should do away with both of them and make a lot of fans a lot happier.
2: And the strangest thing about that is the most recent one that we saw uh, on the for the Thursday game when they had the Vikings wearing the yellow, uh, they had the Lions not wearing the traditional Honolulu blue, but it, for whatever reason, showed the Lions to be wearing red which is not a part of the Lions' color scheme in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I guess going back and doing some research, there was a couple of seasons back in the 40s or something like that when they wore red jerseys. But according to that, when the Vikings play the Lions, it's not going to be the yellow versus the blue. It's going to be the yellow versus the red, which is sort of a flashback to the uh, quote-unquote ketchup versus mustard game that we got during color rush time last year between the Buccaneers and the Rams uh, when the Rams were wearing all yellow and the Buccaneers were wearing the orangey red sort of whatever shade that was they were wearing that day. So the the Lions wearing red doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm not in charge of any of this. So, you know, they they can do whatever and everybody and their dog will still watch. So it doesn't matter.
1: You think maybe it's a call back to their Portsmouths, Portsmouth Spartan days or something like that maybe
2: it might be I mean I'd have to look up the Portsmouth Spartans on like Wikipedia or something but you know yeah. that's it, Lord only knows what the NFL is thinking with all this
1: so record wise where do you think the Vikings are going to fall this year
2: I I would be surprised if they weren't at least 11 and 5 this year I'm actually kind of expecting them to go 12 and 4 and you know if that doesn't give them the NFC North title again i uh i think they're going to be very close to it but yeah i i just don't see a scenario uh barring a rash of injuries where this team goes backwards uh from where they were last season so yeah i i would put my official uh declaration for this year probably at 12 and 4.
1: okay and then finally um maybe i should have asked you this earlier but i'll go ahead and ask you now um you know 2014 um it was year one of Mike Zimmer, so they were expected to struggle. They didn't have Adrian Peterson, and the offense seemed to do fine without him. They weren't great. They weren't bad, but they were you know, kind of middle of the road. Um, who's that one person on the team the Vikings can't afford to lose this year? Is it Peterson? Is it Bridgewater? Or is it somebody on the defensive side?
2: Uh, I think you got to look at the defense, and I think you have to go with Harrison Smith. Uh, he's now officially – because Eric Berry couldn't come to a long-term deal with Kansas City, he's now officially the highest-paid safety in the NFL. And, you know, his versatility just allows that Vikings defense to do so much. And He can play deep center field. He can come up and stop the run. He's a great blitzer. And, you know, obviously the Vikings don't have anybody on their roster. They're having a hard enough time filling the safety spot next to Smith. Uh, they don't have somebody that they could just plug into uh, Harrison Smith's place and, you know, allow their defense to do the same things that they currently do. Uh, he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. Uh, he's definitely in the top two or three in my mind. And, you know, if there's one player on the defensive side that the Vikings probably can't afford to lose, it's probably him and uh Linval Joseph would probably be a close second on that list. Uh, particularly if he repeats the sort of performance that he showed last season.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much uh, for being on the show again, uh, Chris. It's going to be a while before we talk to you again. Uh, we got to uh, Halloween night on Monday Night Football, as you mentioned. That's week eight. And then we close out the year with you week 17. So we'll be talking to you at the end of October and the end of December to get ready for these two games.
2: All right. Well, I'll definitely be looking forward to being on the program again, Larry. Thank you again for having me.
1: Thanks so much, Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman, helping us preview the 2016 Minnesota Vikings. Always great to have Chris on the show. Look forward to having him back. And, uh, you know, it'll be a while before we have him back on. Like I said, the end of October – to get ready for that october 31st uh the halloween night monday night game that the bears have just before the bye week closes out the first half of the season i mean you know we have uh we have green bay just before that at week seven but that's a thursday night game so uh that'll basically be a review preview type episode and our first game with detroit is week four so we don't see uh the vikings to the to the, to the back end of both halves of the season. Week 8 and then week 17 is how we finish both halves of this year. So uh, look forward to having uh, Chris back on and uh, should have a pretty good definition of what our teams are after those uh, – definitely after the first uh, uh, first matchup uh, takes place. But um, there was a question I forgot to ask, uh, Chris. It was something I, I edit, actually edited out of the uh, segment because I had an extra question that I wanted to ask him about that German wide receiver Boetz Uh, Moritz uh, Bowringer. And uh, the question was um, Do you think that he has any chance of making the team as a special teams player? You know, he's got his physical tools. He's 6'4, he's 220 pounds, he's got a good catch radius. He ran a 4'340 at his quote unquote pro day uh, and everything. So he's got all of the measurables and all the intangibles and such. Uh, so I asked Chris, and I sent that to him on Twitter, and he got back to me just a few minutes ago, says, um, I don't think he does unless the Vikings decide they're going to wash their hands of Cordero Patterson, which is a real possibility considering he's in the final year of his rookie contract. I don't see that happening, though, and I'm guessing he didn't play a lot of special teams in Germany or anything. I'd be surprised if that was his role. So Chris really does think that uh, Bowringer's best chance to, to stay with the Vikings is as a... Uh, uh, practice squad guy as he said uh, during the actual uh, interview so thanks for Chris uh, getting back to me on that one so i could get it onto the uh onto the show so but um there you have it folks 13 episodes in uh what six weeks eight weeks at the most and uh we're almost ready almost ready we got one show left and we saved the best for last as the bears we preview our beloved Chicago Bears. We'll, we'll 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 talk about that 2015 season and what a roller coaster it was. The uh, the you know the frustration uh, of losing that San Francisco game and yes, I'm beating that game. I'm still pissed we lost that game. Um, we shouldn't have. And uh, you know the jubilation of ruining Brett Favre jersey retirement night on Thanksgiving and uh, everything in between. We'll talk about it all and uh, we'll have Brian Perez and hopefully. Uh, Jeff Dickerson as well uh, on the show and uh, see what we can put together uh, for those guys and, and make the 14th and final preview episode going into the season uh, the best one that we've done yet. So, um, you know, if you guys have any questions, you want to take part and be a part of the show, feel free to send me some. You can hit me up on Twitter, at ShyBearsReview on Twitter. Send me your questions there or send them to me on email. Or ask me on Facebook. Uh, this, the, the Facebook is uh, just search Chicago Bears Review on Facebook. You'll find us no problem there. Or you can email me at ChicagoBearsReview at Yahoo.com is the email address. So hit me up either way, and we'll see if uh, if I like your question, then we'll put it on the show. So uh, But that's going to do it. The next time you hear from me will be sometime next week, as soon as we get our schedules all pinned down, I'll let you guys know on Facebook and on Twitter when the show is going to be recorded so you'll know when it's coming out. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.